0: Hi, I'm Laura Lawrence, and I'm a fiery redhead with a big heart and an even bigger vision to connect people through real and raw conversations. My journey started as an educator, but life threw me an unexpected curveball that took me on a messy but magical journey of discovering my way back to myself. Speaking from the heart cannot begin without first acknowledging my own privilege as a settler here on Treaty 6 territory traditional homeland of the Cree, Soto, Dakota, Lakota, Dene, and Métis people. On my journey of learning and unlearning, I will forever be grateful to a man named Perry, a residential school survivor who first opened my eyes and broke open my heart to the undeniable truths that he and so many other Indigenous people experienced right here in this province of Saskatchewan and our country of Canada. Acknowledgement of pain is where our journey of healing all begins. Whether you're here to recharge, reconnect, or just escape for a few minutes from the noise and heaviness of life, there's something here for you. So pull up a chair, let's laugh, let off some steam, and grow into the next version of ourselves together. Happy New Year, Heart Talkers. Welcome in today as we explore the five things I'm leaving behind in 2023. It's no surprise to me that when I woke up this morning on January 1st, 2024, I still felt the same nagging pain in my right shoulder and hip that I've been trying to get a handle on for months now. I still felt the familiar pattern of feeling stressed in the morning amidst a busy household with little people who were exuberant with energy and the same trigger response to a heightened nervous system. I made myself a promise that I'd get up and go to the gym before taking the kids to a New Year's Day movie, and no surprise to myself or my husband, I did not make it to the gym yet. Now, as I've grown older and I've spent the last decade immersed in self-exploration through a variety of modalities that have helped me to work through layers of beliefs, conditioning and programming, I have come to realize that the turnover a new year always brings with it the same me. So there's something about the way our minds work as humans that keeps us attached to cycles and patterns. And as much as we crave change, our brains more crave the comfort of patterns and predictability because that's how physiologically they're wired. In fact, our brains are not wired for change. They're wired to conserve energy. The part of our reptilian brain called the basal ganglia is where patterns and habits are formed. The reptilian brain is also responsible for the fight-or-flight response. Much of the time, this part of the brain operates on autopilot, so we scarcely even have to think about everyday activities. The autopilot just guides us through in a world that brims with stimulation of sight, sounds, smells, tastes, and touch. Often we find that our reactions are very autonomic, especially when it comes to how we express emotion, how we process emotion, and how we communicate with others, because those are patterns that were all learned and ingrained in our formative years between the ages of zero to seven. So to put it simply, we were programmed by what was modeled for us in our homes as children. The start of a new year always brims with the potential to set new goals, to make resolutions, to get a fresh start. This romantic new year, new you kind of approach that society dishes out to us. But many of the patterns and habits we'd like to change, again, are stored in that formative program. In our reptilian brains. So, think of change as rewriting hardwiring or encoding a brand new program over a program that's existed there for decades and was written with a code that might not be accessible any longer. So much easier said than done. So, what I've come to learn in every new year is that I'm always the same me. And it's not really a fresh start, as I'm still walking into the next year with the same set of patterns and conditioning and beliefs and challenges as I was the previous year. But I always challenge myself to explore my perception and to dive into a deeper awareness of what change might look and feel like for me. Society romanticizes change and tricks us into believing that It's as easy as writing down affirmations or setting goals or creating vision boards, which all are beautiful processes to help guide us through a new year and all things that I have done and personally continue to do. But it's interesting how as fascinated we are with change, change is really the hardest thing that we will ever do. And it's not because we don't have the will to change or even the willpower, but our subconscious often outweighs our will. Is how the wiring works. And it might take a while, but the boomerang effect, as I like to call it, always seems to come around and bring us back to those familiar patterns that were modeled and are ingrained in our subconscious. Having said all this, Uh, I do believe that I and you have the capacity to embrace self-awareness, self-reflection and to explore what change might look like for us in patterns and behaviors that no longer serve us. But to do that, we need to be willing to go beyond the surface work. For me, that means a deeper level of self-care that involves multiple different therapies and practices including body talk, Reiki, access bars, meditation, breath work, all of those things immerse me in the mind body connection and awareness of how my body really plays out what's happening in my mind. And many of those modalities body talk most of all has gently guided me through my subconscious programming and my attachments to things that keep me stuck in a rut. So for me, it's meant putting these lists and goals and vision boards into action by dealing with the layers of the onion, so to speak, that prevents me from accessing change because of the autopilot that my reptilian brain defaults to, what's familiar, and what feels safe for me. So how I react and respond to stress, how I express my emotion and love for others, and how I expect love and communication from others, and mostly how I speak to myself and the expectations that I set forth for myself. Self-reflection is such a gift we can give ourselves as we move into a new season of life. And with that self-reflection could, should come a ton of grace. So whether that be when we're moving into a new year or simply a time of transition, So here are the five things I want to share with you upon reflection of my last year of things that I want to truly be intentional about as I move into 2024. Number one. Now this one requires an awareness to call myself out on my own BS. It's simply this. I want to be intentional about the awareness I have about excuses that I make for myself. Excuses that deny me access to new paths and patterns of mental or emotional or physical wellness. I've definitely shared my fair share of excuses to validate or justify my decisions of why I just don't have time to put myself first in terms of self-care or prioritizing my mental and physical health. I just don't have time to meal prep. I can't meal prep because everybody in my family eats something different. I can't go to the gym at a regular consistent time each week because my schedule with my kids and their activities is chaotic, or I'm a busy entrepreneur and at the end of the day, I just really want time for myself. Gosh, the list would never end if I allowed myself to spiral into all the excuses that could be these roadblocks to my own wellness. I remember the first discovery call I had with my uh, new movement coach, Colin Jackson, who's going to be a guest here on season one of Heart Talk. I remember telling him that the success of his program would 100% rely on my ability to make an effort instead of making an excuse. The truth is we can either make an effort or we can make an excuse, but we can't do both. It's so often just easier and more comfortable to make the excuse and continue with the patterns that feel familiar. But this is true for each and every one of us. Whatever we're not changing or choosing. Let me say that again for myself. Whatever I am not changing, I am choosing. So as I move into 2024, I want to be so aware about how intentional I am going to get To call myself out on my own BS and to prioritize self care in all ways, but especially by putting aside the excuses that prevent me from getting there. Number two on the list of things that I want to be intentional about. I have suffered with this for as long as I can remember. It's been my Achilles heel for decades. It's this FOMO. Fear of missing out. As an extrovert and someone who recharges her batteries through social connection with others, I've always struggled with saying no to opportunities that come my way because of the fear of missing out. The truth is, when I choose something over something else or someone else, I am missing out. It's inevitable. I can't be in two places at the same time. The balance then comes in the evaluation of what it is I want to miss out on less. And as my children age and my babies graduated this past year, I have had to swallow a jagged pill in the realization that I've missed out on a lot because of my fear of missing out. Years ago, a good friend of mine who used to be a student back when I was a teacher said this to me. And I'll never forget it. Laura, if it's not a hell yes for me, then it's a no. Saying no to something that's exciting and exhilarating and has the potential to offer new friendships, new social connections and exciting experiences is a hard one for me. But I know this. My kids are aging in the blink of an eye. I am aging in the blink of an eye. And these years, I cannot get back. But as I continue to be intentional about the balance, the dance of where I'm spending my time, I want to just remind myself in my gut of that feeling of, is it a hell yes? Or is it a "Mm, meh? Because if it's not a hell yes, then maybe I've already answered that balance and that evaluation of what I want to miss out on less. If you find it challenging and overwhelming to balance it all, work, relationships, family, self-care, friendships, you're going to want to tune in to my first free virtual masterclass of the year called Living Lighter on January 18th. In this 60-minute free masterclass, I teach you the five principles to living a more conscious, mindful life in 2024 If you want to slow the roll and sink deeper into a healthier relationship with yourself and those you love, head to lauralawrence.co slash masterclass and sign up. You'll learn three key mindful living practices that connect the mind with the body and build a deeper connection with self. That's lauralawrence.co slash masterclass to sign up. Hope to see you there. Number three, this is something that each and every one of us struggles with. And as a parent who's navigating the teenage years with my older two kids, this has been something that I've started to maybe obsess a little bit over. Overconsumption of social media. Now I'm going to call my kids out on it. I'm going to have to call myself out on it first. Now the research says there is no doubt that engagement with social media fires our brains up in the same way other dopamine-seeking behaviors like consuming sugar and addictive substances does. In doing a quick Google search regarding the effects of social media use on the brain, you'll quickly see how powerful of an influence it has on the capacity to actually rewire our brain. In fact, uh, in the early 2000s, there was a new term coined for people who suffer from a phobia of losing connection to their mobile phones. They're said to suffer from something called nomophobia or no mobile phone phobia. It's an insatiable need to use or log on to social media, excessive concern for social media, and spending so much time and energy on social media that interferes with with other crucial aspects of life, a social media addiction. In doing some research on this, because believe me, this is a topic that I'm going to explore in a future episode, I found a very interesting study done in 2023 in India by Dr. V. Thangavel. And here's what his report had to say, or a couple things anyway, that stood out to me. The dopamine-rich social contexts that social networking sites offer are primarily responsible for the phenomenon of social media addiction. The dopamine-rich social contexts that social networking sites offer are primarily responsible for the phenomenon of social media addiction. To encourage users to utilize their products as often as possible, social media companies create the same neural circuitry that is brought on by recreational drugs and gambling. Social media has a neurochemical effect on the brain that makes it physically and mentally addicting. Self-disclosure on social networking sites activates the same area of the brain that lights up while using addictive substances per a new Harvard University study. This can be seen in how people use social media when they receive a notice, such as a like or a mention. Their brain releases dopamine along reward pathways, making them feel good. With comparatively little work, social media offers an infinite supply of instant benefits in the form of other people's attention. Through this kind of positive reinforcement, the brain rewires itself, leading people to crave likes, retweets, and emoticon reactions. Now, here's something that I particularly found interesting in this study. So Dr. Thungavel says people talk about themselves as startling 80% of the time on social media compared to an estimated 30 to 40% of the time in the non-virtual world where the focus is on showcasing one's life and accomplishments. A person's brain is stimulated to release dopamine when they share an image on social media which reinforces the behavior and feeds the habit. Now, as I try to teach and talk to my teens about the physiology of the brain, the reward pathways of using social media, I must first evaluate and acknowledge my own patterns of social media use. Now, a couple of years ago, I had already realized how my social media engagement was wreaking havoc on my mental health. And so I did a couple of things to set healthy boundaries for social media use. It's been a few years now since I disabled all notifications from all apps, which gave me my power back in terms of allowing me to choose which app I would actively spend time on and who I wanted to engage with. I still have not turned those notifications back on. And it has meant in some tough lessons of, you know, missing a practice or missing out on some information from my children's extracurricular teams or schools. But I love being able to just choose where my attention goes uh, and the time that I spend on these apps. So I encourage you to look at where you're using your time on your social media apps and how you can engage in some boundaries that set time limits that take your brain away from that hijacked response of the ding or the notification. It's like when I, when I see it happen, it's like Pavlov's dog, the response to which our brains are wired to attend to these notifications. I'm challenging myself to set even more strict boundaries for myself and to help guide my teens through that as well, as I don't love where technology is taking our social connections. I, I don't. And I can say as a parent, it is something that consumes much of my time and my grief and my sadness. And I long for a simpler childhood for my kids that's for another episode. All right, so let's keep let's keep going. Number four, the fourth thing that I want to leave behind in 2023. Now, listen, let's be honest, I'm not going to leave this behind. But I want to want to be more intentional about calling myself out on this one as well. And that's using work as a coping mechanism. A couple of weeks back, I was a guest on the Hard Knocks Talks podcast with Daniel Hearn. And his podcast primarily deals with Navigating through addictions. I myself don't have a particularly mind blowing story about coming back from a first person addiction, other than I can very much associate addiction for me with my engagement in work. Work is definitely a coping mechanism. And when I feel stressed and when I feel like I need to avert conflict, I will go and I will immerse myself in work. It's easy to say that I work as much as I do because I'm so passionate about it, because it lights me up, because I'm finally doing something where I feel like my heart has been called to. It's purpose-driven work. But the truth of it is, is that as long as I'm working, I'm not connecting with my loved ones. As long as I'm working, I'm not doing the deeper layered work that I need to to work through that subconscious program and patterns and, and attachments to beliefs that keep me stuck in stress-filled ruts. So as I move into a new year, I am going to challenge myself to set further boundaries on what work looks like for me. Last year, I decided that I wasn't going to work after, after dinner after supper, whatever you call your last meal of the day, I decided that the laptop wasn't going to come out. And for the most part last year, I did quite well with it. There were definitely some times when I was publishing and uh, launching behind closed doors that I had to pull some long hours. But for the most part, I'm pretty proud that I kept true to that not working uh, after supper. I read a book that the author shared about how difficult it is for entrepreneurs to set boundaries for work because, truthfully, we have all the freedom yet are so attached to the hours of which we put into work that we could work so many hours a day and not even realize it. One of the things that he said was, make sure that you designate a particular work space for yourself in your home. So if you're an entrepreneur listening, I mean, this is one of the takeaways that I just thought was like mic drop for me, was not work from your couch, not work from your bedroom, not work from your bathtub when you're trying to take a relaxing bath, but designate one space, designate one space in your home that would be your workspace and be sure to work nowhere but that space. All right, last but not least, the fifth thing that I'm going to try to leave behind in 2023. Again, I don't know. This is just something that I'm just so keenly aware of, and it's having a jam-packed schedule. Now, I know this is going to be difficult for me because it's part of my hardwiring. It's part of my program. Because from the time I was little, I remember often being on the go with my family. And for good reason, whether it be our own extracurricular activities that my sister and I were engaged in, family get togethers, community events, my family was often found anywhere but home. And as I began my own teaching career and settled down to start a family with my ex-husband and we had our two children together, I remember often being on the go. Being at home again in the evenings was a rare occurrence as our children were enrolled in all the activities and we were running almost seven nights a week. And if we weren't running with them, we were working or coaching or volunteering. A decade after that divorce with a new husband, and two more children and still we run a jam-packed schedule. Makes me think that it's not them, it's me. (laughs) And I realized when I met uh, my second husband that not everyone runs on full octane Um, and not everyone wants to be out and about seven days a week, and some people need to recharge. Some people not only crave rest, but recognize that rest is productive, and my husband Alan is one of those people, and I think one of the most beautiful parts about meeting him is that he has been a little dose of water to my fire in that he's grounding and brings me back to this realization that rest isn't just to set aside as a reward after a busy week or a busy season, but that it's something that is necessary. For me, rest's the hardest thing to do. Even when I'm on vacation, I resist rest and I feel like I need to read all the books or hit the gym just so I can say I was productive. The jam-packed schedule in a society that really rewards having your kids explore who they are through being engaged in all these activities and making sure that you're the best parent that offers, you know, the best opportunities for your kids. We really have, I believe, strayed so far from recognizing the value of just staying home and eating a meal together around the table. And that's one of the things that I will always remember from the pandemic is because we were forced to stay home we had no other choice but to engage and spend time together as families and i think for many people i talked to it was a little bit of a silver lining to what we were going through as a world so those are the five things that i would like to do better at to be more intentional about moving into this new year and whatever it is for you that's on your mind or on your heart in terms of exploring what a lighter and more connected life might feel like for you this next year, be gentle with yourself as you guide yourself through all the hard things or even prepare yourself for the things that you don't even know might be coming your way this year. Just remember to stay true to that authentic, true north, that gut feeling, that intuition that guides us into those paths that are our truest paths of integrity for ourselves and our families. Thank you so much for choosing this space and place to spend your time today. Until next time, thanks for this heart to heart.